0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave, Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our our series this morning on God revealed, God revealed, and we've be going over those seven redemptive names of God and how they reveal God to us, how they reveal Christ to us. And just before we get into that, I do want to invite you. We will have our Bible study tonight at seven uh, six o'clock, excuse me, on the true nature of God, uh, and then we have our Bible studies also. On Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock on the New Year in the Holy Spirit. All of our messages are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Also, on our website, you can also give and support our ministry, as many do. <coughs> Excuse me. And at the same point in time, uh, we all are, like I said, all of our messages are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. There's a couple number of places where you can get into that, uh, those archives. Also, we have our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center, where we also have all of our messages archived. And starting this week, we have some new platforms that are just audio. They're not visual, but they're audio. And that's on Spotify. We're on Spotify now. Uh, Lighthouse Discipleship. Uh, we also just search Lighthouse Discipleship and you, you, we should come up. Also, we're on Podbeam. We have some podcasts whatnot. And our uh, RFS feed, and we even get onto uh, Apple uh, and some other uh, Google Play and some other places as well. Anyway, I'm not going to bore you with all those advertisements. My point is, uh, we're out there, and so uh, there's a number of ways that you can find us even on Apple TV. You can find us as well. So anyway, no, um, without, without further announcements, let's go ahead and get into the word this morning. If you have your Bible, you can start turning towards Jeremiah. We're going to i uh, do a little bit of recap from last week. We're going over the seven redemptive names of God and how they reveal Christ to us and how they reveal God to us. See, throughout history, throughout biblical history, throughout in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to his people. And if you if really study all seven of these names, which we have been doing the last uh, few weeks, I think we're in week eight this week, but if you study the names of God, If you say these names, all eight of these, or seven of these names, excuse me, comes during a time when Israel was in a crisis, or God's people were in a crisis. It was when Abraham was going to offer up Isaac that God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. God himself will provide for him a sacrifice. It was after they crossed the Red Sea and they they, they came to the, the, the bitter waters of Marah, And God rebuilt Himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Two chapters later, as they would find the Amalekites, God rebuilt Himself as Jehovah Anisi, the Lord is your banner, the Lord is your victory. And then we have the story of Gideon, where God rebuilt Himself as Jehovah, uh, uh, actually, excuse me, before we get to Gideon, we have Jehovah Makedesh. Right in the middle of the law, when God's not only just given the law, but he's specifically given the penalty for breaking the law, which is basically death. Uh, but anyway, he just, he's given the penalties for breaking the law. God reveals himself as Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. And then we have Gideon, where we, uh, there again, find the Midianites, the Malachites, and, and there, it says that there was the uh, camels as far as the, the sand on the seashore. That was a big army coming against 300 men who had no weapons. And so uh, God revealed himself as Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. And then then, we're, uh, and then we have the one that we're studying this week, and last week, and this week, where uh, we didn't quite finish last week, where it's Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is at a time where Israel, because of their, their own folly, because of their own iniquity and sin, they found themselves exiled. They found themselves being judged. And they found themselves being captives and exiles, P.O.W.s, if you will, um, in, some, in some ways. And God reveals himself as Jehovah-Tekniskim, which is Je, uh, the Lord is your righteousness. I don't think we'll get into it today because I want to spend more time on righteousness. But then next week we're going to be studying Jehovah-Shema. Jehovah-Shema is in the book of Ezekiel. And again we find them in a, in a, in a dire place. And God reveals Himself. Jehovah Shema, which the Lord is there, or the Lord is with you. And we'll be, that will be the caption on this series, as we, we'll spend one more one more name, which I'm calling the eighth the name of God, which is really the name of God, is Jesus. God, Emmanuel, God with us. And that will tie right into the last name, God is there, Emmanuel, God is with us. So that will tie right in, okay? Which goes right into the Christmas season. I didn't plan that, that's just how, how, we're, uh, how this is come about. Anyway, so here we are, we're going to continue on, uh, 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 this last, the sixth name that we've been talking about, Jehovah Teniski, which is, the Lord is your righteousness. And anyone who knows me knows I love teaching on righteousness. That is my number one topic. I could spend a whole year easily on this. Um, and I've done that. <laughs> In our first year we started this church, I spent almost a year teaching on righteousness. And I'll get into some of that uh, this morning. But let me just recap a little bit of what we've been talking about. Again, as I just mentioned, in Jeremiah, uh, Israel has become captives. They've become exiled because of their own sin. They've been warned to repent. They didn't repent, and they became exiled. Now, some people, let me just put a footnote in here. This is not my message. But some people think uh, that God is judging America with all of the election and different things. And I I disagree with that. I believe if God, and some people say, well, God doesn't judge America. He has to apologize to Solomon more. I disagree with that. If God judges America, he needs to apologize to Jesus. Because Jesus took our sin. He took our wrath. He He took the wrath of God. He took the penalty. So how do we justify what's going on? The Bible says in Galatians that if you sow the flesh of the flesh, not of God. Of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. Sin is still dangerous. Christ became our sin. He took the penalty for our sin. those of us who are in Christ. But those who have rejected Christ, those who are still living in sin, sin will continue to destroy this planet. Sin will continue to destroy mankind. Sin is dangerous. Sin is, and if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh, not of God, you'll reap corruption. That's just how it works. But if you sow to the Spirit, which we'll get into a little bit later uh, before the year ends. We'll be talking about the Holy Spirit next in our next series. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap uh, life everlasting. And so, and so we, we want to sow to the Spirit, not the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Um, so anyway, we'll that's not kind of the scope of my message. So we're talking about Jehovah and, and Teniscus, which the Lord is always your righteousness. So, real quick in Jeremiah, so just, this is just gonna be a little recap. I'm not gonna teach you all of this again. I want to get some new territory. But Jeremiah 23, this this you know this 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 redemptive name of God that we're studying the sixth one is the first one that's mentioned in the prophets. All the rest were mentioned in the what we call the Pentateuch or the Torah uh, through Moses, uh, and we have it in Genesis we have two in Exodus, and then we have uh, one in, uh, I think it was, um, actually that was Exodus two. Uh, anyway, the, all of them were in the Torah. This is the first one, well actually, uh, Gideon was not in the Torah, but, uh, this is the first one by the prophets, to Jeremiah. And this one is actually mentioned twice. It's mentioned here in chapter 23, and it's mentioned again in chapter 30, 33. So this one is mentioned twice. And so... This first one, again, again, they're, they're in exile, they're being judged. And I'm not going to read the whole context again here in, in Jeremiah 23. Uh, 23 but we'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, in God speaking, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. That last phrase in most of your Bibles is all caps, the Lord our Righteousness. Okay, the Lord our Righteousness, that is his name. This is also the first name that is specifically speaking towards the Messiah. This is me- this is a messianic prophecy that we're reading here. So this is not just pointing to a name of God. This is specifically, and I believe all the names of God are pointing to Christ, but this one specifically speaks of the Messiah. This branch of David, uh, the Lord our righteousness, It's speaking about Jesus specifically. There's no way... To interpret around that is speaking to Messiah. The Lord, Yahweh, is the Messiah. The Messiah is Yahweh. That's a major point, what I just said. I know I went through a little fast, but Yahweh is the Messiah. Our Lord is God. God is Yahweh. Yahweh is the Messiah. And... Uh, but if you continue to read in this, in this passage, scripture, let's read verse 7 and 8 real quick. Therefore, behold, the days are coming to the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought us up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord who lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. A couple of different things have been said here. First of all, you know, that there are, their testimony up to this point had always been Israel coming out of Egypt. It was always about Israel coming out of Egypt. But now they're going to have a new testimony. God's going to bring them. God, God had just scattered them because of exile, and God's going to bring them back. So this is now they're going to have a, the, the Exodus, the, the God bringing them out of Egypt into the Promised Land, was a major, major history of Israel. Now their history is going to include God, God who scattered them is going to bring them back. This is also speaking towards restoration. We'll see this a little bit more when we talk about the last name, Jehovah Shammah. You know, we're talking a lot about restoration. Because I believe the whole book of Ezekiel is about restoration. At the same point in time, I just want to make a footnote here that God is all about restoration. Keep in mind, let's bring this whole thing in context. Israel is being judged, exiled, because of your sins, And in the midst of this, God reveals to himself as the Lord your righteousness. God is revealing that although they have been judged, or they have been, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, they have been disciplined, God is going to bring them back. God is going to restore them. Okay, there's a you know, there's, a, there's an ugly message in the sense of judgment here, here, but God, there's also a beautiful message of God's restoration at the same point in time. We also got to keep in mind that we're talking about Old Testament, God still chastises us in the New Testament, like because He's the same yesterday, then, forever. Amen. In the book of Hebrews, and we're not going to study this today, but the book of Hebrews it talks about chastisement. How God chastises, and just as a father just chastises his son, so God chastises us. And then in the book of Hebrews, if you study it out, he's quoting from the book of Proverbs. <coughs> when God talks about chastisement in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, he's actually quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, if you study that, how God chastises us by His mercy. Okay, you're gonna to have to read that. I've taught on this many times before, but the whole content it starts out the the the, the, the chapter, Proverbs chapter three talks talk about how about His mercy, bind it around your neck, <coughs> put it on the table of your heart. And then he goes into the most famous verse that we, most of us know. Trust in, the, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart not lean on your understanding and all your ways knowledge of knowledge. That's in the same context. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And then he starts talking about finances a little bit, about giving of your first fruits. And then it's in the same context. In verse 12, of Proverbs chapter 3, he starts talking about as a father loves his son, he chastises them. He's talking about mercy in the whole chapter. The whole chapter is about mercy. You know, chastisement, and then really if you study the word chastisement in the, in the Hebrew language and the Greek, it means child training. The, the word means child training. You don't, you don't, uh, well, if you're going to chastise your child as a father chastises a son, you don't do it to kill them. You don't do it to, to dismember them. You don't do it to, to torture them. You, to, you, you, you chastise them to teach them. There's nothing to learn if you're dead. There's nothing to learn if you're crippled. You can't learn from being crippled. You can't learn from being different things. You can't. You can't learn if you're dead. The the, the lesson if if, if if killing someone is chastisement, then well, there's no lesson. Even if you learn the lesson, you can't apply it. You're dead. Anyway, I can to get off that track. It's just that uh, God chastises because He loves us. God was chastising Israel. But there was also no redeeming. And this is speaking to the Messiah. Christ took our sin. And through Christ, wherever we have gone because of sin, and we were all alienated from God, from the life of God, before we received Christ, God wants to bring us back. God wants to restore. And God is revealing himself as the Lord, your righteousness. Now my favorite verse from 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, um, says, he who knew no sin became sin that I might become, the, or that we might become, the righteousness of God in him. God became sin that we might become his righteousness. Turn here, if you will, to uh, Jeremiah 33. Ten chapters later. And God reveals himself again at Jehovah to this queue. And I want to, again, I don't want to read the whole context, so I'm got to pick it up in verse... Um, we'll look at verse 6 let will start there behold I will bring their health he's talking about Jerusalem he's talking about his people and healing and I will heal them and rebuild to them the abundance of peace and truth and I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and rebuild those places as the first there's that restoration again I will cleanse them from all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities. By which they have sinned against, sin, and by which they have transgressed against me. Then <coughs> it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do to them, and they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for them. Thus says the Lord. Again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say, It is desolate, without man, and without beast, in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, that are desolate, without man, and without inhabitant, and without beast, the voice of the Lord, and the voice of the gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the bride, the voice of those who will hear, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. We were just talking about that mercy. And those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as of the first, says the Lord. And that's how the Lord hosts. In this place, which is desolate, without man and without beast, in all the cities, there shall be again a, a dwelling place of shepherds. And I want to actually skip on down, just for time's sake. Skip on down to verse uh, 15. And in those days, at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she shall be called, the Lord our Righteousness. Again, I'm not going to teach on all this like I did last week. I I do want to bring some context to just actually um, Revisit some busts. But we, here again, we have Israel. They're being judged because of their own folly, because of their own iniquity and sin. And then this, all this, God says, "I." He reveals Himself as Jehovah Sinistra, the Lord of the righteousness. But He says He's going to cleanse them from their iniquities. He's going to restore them. He's going to return them back to rebuild the ancient ruins. God is going to do, God is doing a major cleansing here but he's also going to do a major restoration we have to hear that you know you can read the book of Isaiah Jeremiah Ezekiel the prophets and you can see all the doom and gloom or you can see God performing his righteousness it depends what lens you have on you can see all you can see the wrath of God or you can see God judging sin and bringing forth his righteousness that's the gospel because God judged sin in Jesus so that he could give us his righteousness. God is dealing with sin, and God has never been light on sin. Even when we preach grace here in the New Testament and in this church, we're not saying that God is light at sin, that he's ignoring sin, that he's sweeping under some carpet. No, he judged it fully on Jesus. But here in Jeremiah, Jesus hasn't come yet. And so there had to be, and so so there was a judgment. There was a natural manifestation of that. But God did, even though he chastised and he judged them, he did not ultimately destroy them. If God utterly destroyed them, they would not be in the face of the earth. But they are in the face of the earth. They have been restored. They have been returned. And we have to see God's nature here. And in the midst of this, in the midst of God's judgment, God says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to restore you. My mercy endures forever. That's the message. That's one of the main messages here. But this Jerusalem, and I can again, I could spend uh, several hours teaching on Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is speaking of, and we're going to look at Jerusalem a little bit next week when we talk from Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel is going to talk about the new Jerusalem as well. Ezekiel had a glimpse of the New Jerusalem the same way John did in Revelation chapter 21. It's just from his point of view. He has the same revelation. And he actually spends several chapters talking about this, this New Jerusalem. But I think from chapter 40 to chapter 48, he spends almost eight chapters talking about this New Jerusalem. But anyway, uh, the Jerusalem, if you study the scriptures between the book of Hebrews, to the book of, again, the book of Revelation, the book of Isaiah... And here are Jeremiah and other scriptures. Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. Jerusalem is the church. It says in Revelation chapter 21 that God tells, the angel tells John, let me show you the bride of Christ. He was going to show him the bride of Christ. And when he, after he said those words, he was going to show him the bride of Christ. There came Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. The new city where we will live. That's the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And, And in Jerusalem, God is there. God, the Son of God, is the light. There's no sun because Jesus is there. They don't need the sun. He is the brightness of the glory. He is the uh, the Ancient of Days. He is uh, the beginning and the the Alpha and Omega. And so, anyway, I want to get back on on cue here. Jerusalem. And if we know Jerusalem geographically, Jerusalem is on a hill. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that we are a city on a hill. That we are the light of the world. God wants to do such a restoration. And when we read Jeremiah 33, God's restoration, God said he's going to do such a restoration that all the nations that despise you, all the nations that, that look down at you, or even all the nations that hate you because they despise you so much, they're going to see There's going to see such a manifestation of my mercy and my restoration that it's going to be a rumor of all the goodness I do to you. He even says that they will fear and tremble of all the goodness that I do to you. I don't know where your life has been. I don't even know you've, you've done bad. Some of us have done good. Some of us have done bad. Some of us have done worse than bad. But God says, if you come to me, if you receive me, I am going to do such a restoration in your life that all who hear of it are going to fear tremble." God wants to make such an advertisement of your life that he restores, that he does in your life. God wants you to be such a testimony, such a witness, your life being a manifestation of the goodness that God does in your life. It's not you doing it, it's him doing it in you. Because if you do it, you'll mess it up. But if God does it, He does a good work. He wants to do a good work in your life. And so, you know, again, God wants to make something advertised because God said in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. You know, God doesn't want the advertisement of your life being just as bad as they are. You know, some of our testimonies, some of the stories that we say over and over again, and again, I'm not trying to be. And so I'm not trying to be uh, insensitive to your, your story, but in, you know when we, we teach about giving testimonies, and some people, when they give testimony, most of their testimonies are more moaning than they are testimony. They give more, 90% of it is all the bad going on. And we might need a little bit of the backdrop to know what's going on, but it should end on a positive note. It should end with glorifying and magnifying God. Not magnifying your your what's been bad of you. I feel bad at what's gone on in your life and all the ne- as far as the negative stuff. But don't glory in that. Glory in what God is doing. And, and sometimes we need a little bit of the backdrop. We need a little bit of you know any good movie is going to have some type of uh, uh, drama. It's going to have some type of climax. They're going to have something to overcome. Got some type of challenge, but. A good, a good, you know, the movies I don't like is when they end on a sad note. All this, all this movie, and then and then they just they end on a negative note. I want to end with a victory. I want to end, and we have a victory. When we read the Bible, when we get to the end, we win. We win. And and, and uh, don't focus your energy on what's going on. Even in these last days, don't, the book of Revelation is not focusing on, on all the, the things coming on the earth. Jesus says many hearts will wax cold because of the things coming on that. You don't want to your heart to wax cold. You want to. Be, God, wants, God wants you to be a, a testimony of His goodness. But He wants to restore it. He wants to do the work. You just need to allow Him to do the work in you. And 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 I hope I'm making my, my point is that God wants to do such a, a great thing in your life. Go with me if you will. To uh, we we uh, how are we doing on time. Yeah, a lot of time. Okay. Okay. A lot of that was just recap. Uh, let's go to one more time. Let's go to the book of Ephesians 5. We were here last week. I want to kind of get to where I left off last week and then I want to figure it out. Um, Ephesians 5 25. And I read this last week, but again, I want to read it again this week. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. That's Jerusalem, the church. And gave himself for her. She didn't give herself for him. He gave himself for her. That's the gospel. See, almost every religion is about what you can do for your God or your deity. Christianity is about what your God did for you. That he might, verse 26, that he (coughs) <coughs> might sanctify and cleanse her. He's doing the cleansing. He's doing the sanctification with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies And he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and his flesh and have his bones. Skip on down to verse 32 real quick. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul is using the allegory of marriage. Marriage is a sacred thing. Hebrews 13 talks about the, the marriage bed is holy. But at the same point in time, marriage is, a, is in many ways an allegory of God's relationship with us. Marriage is special. But I believe it also, there's a twofold part about marriage. It's also an allegory between God's relationship with us. You know, a lot of people say that the first, the first relationship God created was marriage between a man and a woman, between Adam and Eve. And I disagree. The, that's the second relationship God created. The first relationship God created was between man and God. That's the first relationship. The second one was between man and man and the woman. Okay, God had a relationship with Adam, with mankind, before Eve even came. Okay, and then he had a re- when Eve came, he had a relationship with Eve as well. Okay. I'm not making man a hierarchy. That's not my message. My point is, is that God had a relationship with mankind before he instituted marriage. There wasn't even a woman around to have marriage before God had a relationship with man. My point, again, is God had a relationship with mankind before he instituted marriage. Okay, But in this relationship, it's all about God presenting us to himself. You know, in our wedding ceremonies, usually the bride prepares herself for her husband. And rightfully so. And thankfully that they do. But at the same point in time, the message here is God, God is the one that cleanses us. God is the one that sanctifies us. And so, so, it, and God's doing the work. So, when we're talking about righteousness, we're not talking about you doing the work. We're talking about him doing the work in you we want you to live righteously but that should be the byproduct the bible calls it the fruit of righteousness you can't have the fruit without the root the root the seed is christ until you are born again and peter says we're born again not a corruptible seed but an incorruptible seed through the the word of god there's only one way to become born again and that is through Christ. There's only one way to become holy and righteous and that is through Christ. But now that you are righteous, now that you are holy, be it. Live it. Allow his light to live in you. Paul said this way, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Christ in you can live a holy life. Christ in you can live a righteous and godly life. Grace doesn't teach you to live in sin. Grace teaches <clears throat> you to live a godly life. It says that in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Grace teaches you to live godly. But my point here, and I, again, I, I, get, I get on a lot of rabbit trails really easy. My point here is that God, Christ, is sanctifying His church. She's not sanctifying herself, God is sanctifying her. Okay? With that in mind, go with me to the book of Matthew. We didn't spend time to go here last week, but we're going to go here this week. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter chapter 23. And we're going to pick it up, verse 25, in here in just a second. Now, I'm not going to read the whole context here. This is probably one of the most... um, scathing sermons that we ever hear from Jesus. He he doesn't hold any punches back. And the scathing message that comes from Jesus is towards the religious leaders. It's towards those who are boasting in their self-righteousness. God, Jesus, Jesus, did not like, does not like self righteousness. Any self righteousness that you're going to boast in, this message is in many ways for you. Uh, you know, and so I, you know, I, we can either say Amen or Oh me. You know, and so uh, my point is not to put you down. My point is to edify you. My point is to point you to Christ. But Jesus hated self righteousness. He hated it with a passion. And you can see that in this whole message that he speaks. He gives, I think, about seven woes. And he's woeing these seven righteous people. I mean, I think I said it wrong. He's, he's woeing these these unrighteous people. There weren't just seven of them. There was more than that. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, in other words, you can't be righteous on your own. Okay. You have to be righteous through God. And we'll get into that. But let's read some of this. In verse 25. We'll read just a few verses. <coughs> it says, "Well, to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Well, to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, we'll stop right there. I don't know about you, but that's very scathing. <laughs> Jesus is not holding back any punches uh, with this message. You Again, you cannot be righteous on your own. You have to be righteous on the inside first. And you can't be righteous on the inside on your own performance. You can't, there's nothing you can do to make you righteous on the inside. There's only one way you can be righteous and holy on the inside, and that is through Jesus. Only the blood can make you holy and righteous. Only the blood of Jesus can sanctify you. But once you get the inside righteous, Then you can get the outside wages. There's a lot of, you know, I've met through the years, I've met a lot of nice, good, ungodly people. Hmm. That sounds like uh, 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 um, paradox, I think, the word, um, oxymoron. In other words, I've met people who are not believers, live good, moral, godly lives. I've met people like that. The outside looks good, but they have not received Christ. And I'm not so much talking about some of those people, even though that may apply. But there are some self-righteous people, there are some religious self-righteous people. They have a great show, but on the inside, they're not clean. Am I I making sense? It's hard to speak to a camera because sometimes I don't get feedback. But we need to be cleansed on the inside so the fruit can be good. And I don't want the good stuff I do because I did it. I want it to be because Christ in me is doing a good work. I don't want to boast in me. I don't want to boast in him. See, almost every religion <coughs> excuse me, is when... Is about what I can do to 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 be accepted or to please my God or deity. Almost every religion is that. Even Christian religion is that way. We we don't teach religion here. We teach against religion. We're not a Christian religion, as uh, to be politically correct. We are we are Christians, and the Christians have a relationship with God. We're not religious. We are in about in a relationship with God. But almost every religion is about what God can can do, to, what I can do to reach God. You do all these things and penance and different things to reach or to be holy or to be accepted or be good before you, your deity of God. Almost every religion is that way. It's about what you do, not about what your deity or God does. But Christianity is different. Christianity is not about what you do. Christianity is about what he did. It's reverse. True Christianity is about what God has done for us. He made us righteous. He made us clean. He made us accepted in the Beloved. Our actions are the result, are the byproduct of what he did. Our actions didn't come first. Our actions were the result of what he did. I'm, I'm promoting us to live godly lives. But as a result of receiving Christ, not as a... It, but it, it, there's so many even Christian teachers who teach, our believers who teach, you live godly to please your God. As if you are the source of your own salvation. That is wrong. Yes, we live godly life, but as a result of being saved. If you can become saved by your performance, then you don't need Christ. That's wrong. That's antichrist. Antichristo in the Greek means against or instead of Christ. If you preach a gospel that says you can be saved instead of Christ, then that's wrong. You might say the right words that you need to be saved, but your, your doctrine is all about what you do, not about what he did. I want, I want, I want, what we do should be a result. It should be the fruit of holiness, the fruit of righteousness, not the source. You are either hundred percent righteous or you're zero percent righteous. There's no in between. Okay, you can only be righteous with Christ. Go with me real quick. I know we went here last week. I think, but First Corinthians chapter one. I think we went here last week, but if not, we're going to hear again today. We'll pick up verse 29. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. I know we're picking up mid-thought here. But Paul says, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but in him you are in Christ. I want, to, I want to repeat that phrase. But of him. Of who? Him. Not of you. But of him you are in Christ. You are, not will be, but you are in Christ. You became for us, who who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, the him the Lord. He, Jesus, became your wisdom. He became your righteousness. He became your sanctification. And he became your redemption. Why? Well, one of the reasons is, so you wouldn't glory in you, but you would glory in the Lord. If you're glorying, if you're not glorying, in, if you're boasting in your righteousness, if you're boasting in your own sanctification, then you're not glorying God. That's wrong. He became your righteousness. He became your sanctification. He became your redemption. He became your wisdom. Okay, but I want to piggyback on that whole thought, and let's go um, let's go to Romans chapter six, and this is where I know we haven't been. We didn't go last week, which I where I left off. Okay, so I say a lot of that as a, a recap of some of the things we talked about last week, but I didn't finish this last thought that I'm on right now. And talk about righteousness, man. I want to finish that today. Again, I mean, I love the book of Romans. Romans. We're gonna spend. We're gonna look at several scriptures here in the book of Romans today. I think Romans, uh, God. I mean, Paul's thesis in the book of Romans is all about righteousness. We're gonna look at. Amen. We're gonna look at his thesis in just a moment. But i to I'm gonna pick it up here, and then we'll go backwards, and then we'll go forwards. But in Romans 6, -6, verse 13, it says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but are under grace. Again, there's a lot here that I could spend all morning, the rest of the morning, just on this passage of scripture right here. Let's read this a little slowly. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, he actually just said, and you scroll backwards two verses, he says, Likewise also, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking about how we were crucified with Christ. We were buried with him in baptism and we were even raised together with him in newness of life. He said in Romans 6, 11, Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's two parts of this story. I think we spent some time recently out of Ephesians chapter 4. There's, there's a truth that we need to sort of learn, and this truth is that we uh, that we are put off the old man and put on the new man in the spirit of a mind. We need to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We were Crucified with Christ, buried <coughs> with Him in baptism. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the dead part. We were crucified with Christ. <coughs> we were buried with Him in baptism. We need to recognize ourselves dead to the old man, dead to sin. The word sin being used here is a noun. It's not a verb. There's The word sin is used 40, 47 times in the book of Romans. 45 of those times it's a noun, it's not a verb. A noun is a person, place, or thing. And a verb is an action. So here he's not talking about the act of sin, he's talking about the nature of sin a noun. There's a difference there. We need to understand some basic grammar between a verb and a noun. I don't know all my grammar. Sherry has to correct most of my writings. Where I usually mess it up is the commas. I don't know what to put the commas in. And I have run-on sentences and I have sentence fragments. So I I I, I, I don't I don't always do that right, but I know I know the difference between a noun and a verb, okay? And a, a, there is an act of sin, but our, it's talking about our nature of sin. We're either in Adam or we are in Christ. You're not either or. I mean, you're not both. You are either in you're either born again in Christ or you're not born again and you're still in Adam. That's what being born again has a lot to you. do. You're born again, not a corruptible seed, Adam, but a incorruptible seed, Christ, by the word of God. And if you are in Christ, then you need to reckon yourselves dead to sin, Adam, and alive to God in Christ. Who are you? You are either in Christ or you don't have Christ. When you stand before God one day, it will be you and Christ or it will be just you and no Christ. And those who don't have Christ, they will be going to hell. They will go to the lake of fire. Only those who have Christ, his righteousness. See, I saw a quote this week, I forget who it's from, on Facebook. We stand, we stand before God and Christ because God stand before God as us. And became sin and died for us. Because Christ stood before God as we were and and the full wrath of God came on. We, God, Jesus gave us His righteousness so that we can stand before God as we were Jesus. Because God stood before God, Jesus stood before God as if He were you. That's powerful. That's really what the gospel is about. And and and, and so um, that's righteousness. But He says here in Romans chapter six, verse thirteen, which is my context. Because you are righteous, because you are crucified with Christ, because you have reconciled yourself dead to sin by like God, then present yourselves as instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. If you are righteous, then live like it. Be who you are. You know, uh, back in the day, uh, when I was first becoming a pastor, uh, we were in a church in, in Wisconsin. And the Brad, Brad was a lot, had a lot more charisma than I did and different things and whatnot. And I uh, and, and so I, in some ways I was trying to be, I was still a youth. I was still in my 20s, but I was still young, you know. And some ways I was trying to be a little bit like him, not totally like him. I don't think I could ever do that. but And I don't think I ever wanted to do that. Uh, not, you know, I'm not trying to speak negative to the man. But at the same point in time, I wasn't. But God corrected me. He says, I didn't call you to be Brad. I called you to be you. That's who I was. And we need to be, you know, you're not me and I'm not you. And we need to be okay with that. <laughs> we don't need two of you. and You don't need two of me. <laughs> you know, uh, we need to be who we are. But we are also, we collectively are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He did not say you are. it says we are. And that's a whole other message. But we are. God died for me just like he died for you. But God made us different. He made different kinds of species of fish and flowers and plants and, and all kinds of stuff. He made different kinds of people with different personalities and things. You know, and, that, and, and the, that one makes the body of Christ beautiful. I'm not talking about the body of Christ this morning so much, but uh, be who you are. But God has made you righteous. He sanctified you. He's redeemed you. Then live it. Here he is in Jeremiah. These people have been unholy, but God's going to cleanse them. God's going to restore them. And now after God cleanses them and restores them, he's going to show his goodness to them. Because that's who he is. And if we are righteous, New Testament, then we have the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. And we are, not only is God going to do good in our lives, but one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness. We can do good to other people. We can be kind to other people. We can be patient with other people. We can be joyful with other people. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. We don't we, we focus on love and the peace and the and the joy parts a lot, but it's even self-control, temperance. But goodness, kindness, gentleness, long long suffering. We don't like that word. We don't like to receive it and we don't like to give it. Well, we actually don't kinda like to receive it. We want, we want people to be law and suffering to us, but we won't be law and suffering to other people. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not talking about the fruit of the Spirit so much today, but I'm talking about, you know, a lot of people think that when we preach grace, we're teaching people to live any way they want to. No. If you are righteous, then live like an instrument of righteousness. For you, for it goes on to say here, uh, verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. If you are under grace, you will live righteously. That's what grace will teach you. Those who say that, that grace is the license of sin don't understand righteousness, they don't understand grace. And those think that we teach that you can live any way you want to. First of all, they have never listened to anything I said. Second of all, uh, that's not what, they don't know anything about righteousness or, or grace. Grace is not a license. Grace, you know, we're talking about God forgiving Jeremiah, uh, Israel in the days of Jeremiah, and God forgiving us in, in, uh, through Christ. God wasn't soft on sin because God was not soft on Jesus. Jesus took the fullness of God's wrath so that you could be righteous. Um, Go with me real quick to Romans chapter 1. And we'll pick it up in verse 7. Verse 7 and 8, Romans chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. I want to get to verse 16, but I want to say something out of this passage real quick. Romans 1 7 says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from my God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you, for all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I just want to make a little point here before we go forward. Again, Remember in Jeremiah, especially in Jeremiah 33, God says all the nations are going to heal the goodness I did to you. Here was a nation being reproved by God because of their sins, but God says I'm going to restore you. And when I restore you, and people begin to see the goodness I do to you in my restoration. It's gonna be like a rumor. It's gonna people are gonna fear and tremble at the goodness I do to you. Well here here Paul's talking to Rome and he's saying, uh, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you, you all your faith is spoken up throughout the whole world. And a couple of different things here. First of all, Paul, especially in this book of especially in the book of Romans, God Paul is speaking about righteousness throughout this whole book. But I want you to see something here, too. Is that Paul doesn't just speak about righteousness to those who are unsaved, those who need to receive salvation. Paul speaks a lot about righteousness to those who are saved. We both need to hear it. Whether If we don't have Christ, we need to hear about righteousness so we can become saved. We need to hear about his goodness. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But even those of us who are saved, Paul... And, 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 Paul's writing to the Romans, and these Romans, he said, before he even starts writing, he says, I've heard about your faith already. The whole world has heard about your faith. And to this church that the whole world has heard about their faith, Paul speaks about righteousness. You know, it's, there's a lot of different rabbit I can go on here. You know, if, if, if we become famous because of our faith, we can get very powerful. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to go down that road too long. But we need, my point is, both the church, the saved and the unsaved, need to hear about righteousness. The Bible says, righteousness and truth is the foundation of a strong. It says that, it says in Hebrews 5 that righteousness is the elementary teachings. It's the foundation. We need to hear this. But jump down to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is... The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now again, I could spend a whole month just on this two verses right here. The gospel, the good news of God is the power of God. Now, a lot of people have come to me through the years and said, Dave, when are you going to preach about the good stuff? When are you going to preach about the power? Now, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit next after this series. But the gospel is the power of God. You can't get more powerful than the gospel. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is part of the gospel. And if you want to preach something better than the gospel, then I don't really want to listen to you. Because if you think that what you have to preach on is more powerful than the gospel, then you don't know the gospel. <laughs> because the gospel is the power of God. I can spend a lot more time on that. A lot more time. But the power of God to everyone who believes. If you don't believe it, you're not going to see its power. The Bible says the communication of your faith becomes effectual as you acknowledge every good thing that is in you. You know, where someone I listened to recently says, You know, I think they were talking to another pastor, another minister. and says, I'll be honest with you, I don't believe the gospel. But why isn't it working? And the minister basically said, because you don't believe it. (laughs) If you don't believe it, it won't work for you. It's voice (laughs) activating. It only, it works by faith. And if you don't have faith, you can say all the right words. You can quote all the right scriptures. You can quote the facts, but if you don't believe it, it won't turn on. You have to believe it. It's by faith. And and that's a whole other message, and this is all good stuff. But that's not what I want to get to this morning. It says, verse 17 says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. In what? The gospel. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. If this gospel is powerful, and it's powerful to those who believe it reveals the righteousness of God. This powerful gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So if I understand righteousness, if the gospel reveals righteousness, then what the gospel reveals is powerful. Does that make sense? If the gospel is powerful, and it is to those who believe, what it reveals is powerful. We need to know what the gospel reveals. The gospel is not revealing what's wrong with you. The gospel is revealing what's right with you righteousness, right standing with God. That's what it's revealing. Yes, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that's not what the gospel is revealing. It's revealing what's right with you because of Christ. That's the power of God. We need to know what it reveals, and then we need to believe what it reveals. If you get the revelation that you're the righteous God in Christ Jesus, but you don't believe you're righteous, then you don't believe what what the gospel reveals. And it won't be powerful to you. This is a whole powerful teaching. But when man sinned, he became powerless. God said he died. When Adam sinned, man died. And when man sinned, sickness began to come. Struggle, and then what days began to come? But you ever notice the ministry of Jesus? Jesus had power over the sea. He had power over the victory. He had power over the storms. He had power to raise the dead. Jesus was righteous. And because Jesus was righteous, there was power. The power, yes, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit soon. But the foundation of his throne. A th- what's a throne? A throne is where the king sits. And a king has a scepter. And the Bible calls God's scepter, the scepter of righteousness. His scepter. It brings that out and uh, I don't have the scripture right now. I believe it's in Hebrews or Revelation or both. But it's his scepter of righteousness. But the throne The throne is where the king sits. And when the king sits on the throne, he has power over that kingdom. And the foundation of that throne is righteousness and truth. And it says in Hebrews chapter 7 that he's our king of righteousness. He's our king of peace. Righteousness is very powerful. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All scripture is... is is inspired by God. It is powerful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The gospel reveals righteousness. And this gospel and what it reveals is powerful that the just shall live by his faith. Because the gospel is powerful to those who believe. It doesn't work if you don't believe it. Well, this, the righteous God is Revealed from faith to faith because the just, the word just and the word righteous are the exact same word in the Greek. The just, those who are righteous, live by their faith. I don't live by what I see in the natural. I live by the word of God. I live a life of faith. And if God said it, that should settle it. My well, I have the sickness. The doctor says this. The lab says this. The x-ray says this. But my God says, my, he, by his stripes, I'm healed. The facts can change, but God will never change. The, the truth, the word of God can change the facts. The facts has never changed my God. So if the facts says I'm sick, but the truth says I'm healed, then guess what? Guess which one has to change? The facts. The truth can sell the facts that line up to the truth. And it must obey. It must bow. When we understand righteousness, healing, it becomes a legal matter. It, righteousness becomes our authority. There's so much I can talk about this. You can see, I'm starting to see a little bit why I spent a whole year on this, Because it's the foundation. It's the elementary teachings. If you don't get the foundation right, How are you going to build? When we understand righteousness, I can talk about any other subject. Marriage, family, finances, healing, any other subject. You know, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk eventually about the gifts of the Spirit. But we're not going to magnify that one with a foundation. If the foundation is wrong, then how we sometimes administer the gifts Is going to be wrong. That makes sense. The foundation's got to be key. If something goes off in our foundation of our marriage, our home falls apart. Our family falls apart. The marriage is the foundation for the home. I I can talk about this in so many different angles. But righteousness, it's the power of God. And you can't live as instruments of righteousness if you don't believe you're Righteous. If you're still trying to get righteousness, how can you live what you already have? Because you're still trying to get it. But you, see, so you start from a place of victory when you're in Christ. You're born into righteousness. When it says, he who knew the sin became sin, that we might become the righteous God. That word become is where we get the word gene, and it means to be born of. We're born of the righteous God. Okay. Again, I could spend a lot more time on this, but I want to build on this just before we wrap it up uh, this this morning. Go with me real quick to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Says, but now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Again, there's a lot here, and I don't have time to We te- teach all this this morning. It's powerful. It says, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. There is a righteousness that is apart from the law. And it's revealed, it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. I teach on that. It's, it's not manifested. The, the, the right of God is apart from the law. And it's revealed to us. But it's also revealed to us by the law and the prophets. Its source is not the law. But it's revealed to us by the law. It's, it's witness, it's given testimony by the law. <coughs> the law of the prophets. What is the law of the prophets? The law of the prophets is scripture. All scripture gives a testimony of what we should be manif- see manifest in our lives. Even the rights of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, but there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace to the redemption that is in Christ whom God has set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith (coughs) to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There is a lot here and I I have a whole teaching. I have nine lessons, it's on our website. It's one of our classes, our our Bible classes. I have nine lessons on this. I spent a lot more time on this than I can do this morning. Uh, But there's just so much here. I I wish people can get this because this has changed my life. This is really, a lot of what I'm teaching right here is really why we do everything we do. It's It's so crucial, it's so essential. Yes, all have sinned. But he is, he is, but we have been justified. What's the word justified? It's the same word for righteousness. We have been declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through his blood, through faith, God has demonstrated his righteousness. How did he demonstrate his righteousness? Through the cross. He who knew no sin became sin that we might have the righteousness of God. <coughs> He wanted to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that we might be just or we might be declared righteous. And the Because ju- he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's so much. I can't do justice right now of all that I want to teach out here. But I want to teach the gospel is so rich. It's so powerful. But we need to believe it. And God has justified us. This jehovah Deniski. No matter how messed up we've made our lives. Some of us have done a really good job. But God says, I am Jehovah Tenisku. I am your righteousness. You know, it's going to be hard to live a victorious life if you don't believe you're righteous. And you're not righteous because of what you've done. You're righteous only if you believe on that's why he says here, that he's a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's how you become justified. You can't become justified by your good works. All of sin Paul, short of the God. But we are justified through, this, through Jesus. Go and be in another pastor's kitchen real quick. I know I'm messing through this real quick, but uh let's go to Romans chapter five. we we'll verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. We were just in chapter 3, now we're in chapter 5. How do you know chapter 5 follows chapter 3? He's still on the same topic. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. If you're not justified, then you can't have peace with God there's no peace. If you think you think you are still a sinner, there's no peace. If you think you're not right with God, there's no peace. But when you understand righteousness, you can have peace with God. There is no way possible you can have any peace if you don't think you're right with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we have peace, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about Jehovah, Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. That's Jehovah Shalom right there. Okay? to whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice and hope with the glory of God. <coughs> First of all, let me just pause there for a moment. First of all, we've been, uh, 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 let's go back to verse 1 real quick. Therefore, having been justified, do you see the past tense? We've already been justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. If we've received Christ, if we have faith in the gospel, if we have faith in Christ, we are justified. He says, having been justified, we have peace with God. The world does not know this peace. Self-righteous people do not know this peace self-righteous people, if you're basing your righteousness based on what you do, you do not have peace with God. Because you're still trying to get what Christ has already given you. See, church, all the gifts of God are free. We have a hard time with that word free. They're like, no, it's got to cost something. Because it seems like everything in life is it costs something. Even if it's free, it costs somebody. If you go to the store and something's free, it still costs somebody that product. Whether the store owner, the, 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 the management is paying for the cost, or the manufacturer is paying for the cost, someone paid for that product. You might get it for free, but someone paid for it. In accounting, somewhere, someone had the mark off expense. You it might be an asset to you, but someone, you know, one of the basics basics of accounting is debits must equal credits. That's the basic accounting equation. Now we don't understand that. How could that ever be? Just be you know when you make a a deposit to the bank, it's a credit to your account, or when you make. Uh, when you make a withdrawal from the bank. Let's put it this way. It might be a, a, a plus in your account, but it's a negative in their account. Okay? Every, that's why... Was, anyway, I'm, i got to get off that track. I'm going to use all my time. up talking about something that's not important. All the gifts of God are free. You can't purchase a gift. We're coming to Christmas time. You can't purchase a gift. If you purchase it, it's a purchase. It's not a gift. It's not free. But all the gifts of God are free. <coughs> you can't earn it. You can't earn righteousness. You can't purchase it. Only Christ has purchased it for you. You can't purchase sanctification. You can't earn it. It's a gift. Provision is a gift. Peace is a gift. Protection is a gift. Health his presence. All these names of God, they're gifts. They're gifts. What do you do with a gift? You receive it. And you say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your holiness. Salvation is a gift. The blood of Jesus is more... Oh, I say this. The blood of Jesus is more than being justified from being guilty. Yes, the blood of Jesus has, has declared us not guilty. But the blood of Jesus has done more than just justified us of being not guilty, it has also declared us righteous. Not being guilty is just one of the aspects. Being forgiven is just one aspect. And, and I'm not wandering down forgiveness, forgiveness is a beautiful. We need to understand that too. But we also have been declared righteous. And I I, I can't get away from this concept. Israel was in the worst season of their whole whole national history. Where they were exiled. They were scattered. They were in some ways destroyed as a nation, it seemed like. Because of their own sin. They were scattered. But God says, in the midst of that, I am Jehovah Tenisku. And he goes on to say in Jeremiah 33, you are, she will be Jehovah. She, she'll she be. Uh, I, I, let's go back there real quick and we wrap this up today. Jeremiah 33. I don't want to misquote it. Verse 16. And those days Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will be dwelt safety. And this is the name by which she shall be called. She, Jeho- the Lord our righteous. Her name will be called. How can her name be called Jehovah Tenisku? She's not Jehovah. Church, Do we not know? We're talking about the names of God. But even Peter said at Pentecost, we should be baptized into his name. Jesus said that when He gave the great commission, He says, "Be baptized into the name of Jesus, name of the Father, name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit." We're baptized into His name. When we became married, we became. She changed her name. We actually forgot it in the first couple, first year. Uh, we forgot to change. We did. We changed her name with Social Security. I mean, with the uh, to get the license, but we forgot to change it with Social Security. And so when she tried to get a job, she couldn't get a job because. Uh, she wasn't who she was anymore. <laughs> she was someone new. She changed her name. We're baptized into the name of Jesus. We ha, we're bat we're emer, the word baptiz, it mean, baptism it me is baptizo means emerge. We're emerge into His name. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, we just read it in five thirty one that we are one flesh with Him. We're one flesh with Christ because of what He did. He is our righteousness. But we bear his name. We bear his name, Jehovah Jireh. We bear his name, Jehovah Ravah. We bear his name, Jehovah Nisi. We bear his name, Jehovah Mekedesh. We bear his name, Jehovah Shalom. We bear his name, Jehovah Teniskiah. And we're going to talk about next week, Jehovah Shemal. The Lord is there. Emmanuel, God is with us. There's so much I can talk about about this. Righteousness. The Lord is your righteousness. But no matter how bad you've gotten, and I'm not excusing the bad that you've done, but I am magnifying his goodness. He can turn it around. And he's going to turn it around not from the outside in. He's not going to start changing your behavior right away. He's going to change your nature from the inside out when you begin to change. It's an inside out part. It's a good process. It doesn't have to be a lengthy process for you to start seeing fruit. And sometimes we gotta cut off some of the old bad branches. You ever prune a, prune a rose bush? You know the first time Sherry pruned our rose bushes when we got married? I was like, you killed them! You butchered those things! They were so beautiful! Why didn't you cut them back? And usually you, 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 you prune them around January, February and it's cold. But it just a few weeks, they were beautiful again. They were even more beautiful. We need to put off the old man. And in the spirit of our mind, put on the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We need to put on Jesus. It's true righteousness. Without Jesus, there is no true righteousness. But Jesus said, I am your righteousness. And God I love it in Jeremiah 33. God is gonna do such a good thing, and all the nations will fear and tremble because of all the good that God does. God wants to do. God wants to show off in doing good in your life, because He is your righteousness. I don't care how bad it's gotten. I care, but I don't care. But I, God wants to do such a transformational work in your life. Because of his righteousness, his goodness. <clears throat> it might look impo- it looked impossible how Israel could ever be restored. I mean they weren't just an exile in one country. They were they were scattered all over the world all the, the place of the earth. They were scattered everywhere. But God says, I'm gonna bring you back. And it's so awesome. You know we, we celebrate Christmas and we're getting there soon. The Magi, the three wise men? Have you studied at all how? That all came, That was part of them coming back as well, because that's that, that was part one of the nations where they were scattered. That's where Daniel was. That's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. Uh, and different things, different things happened. Uh, uh, um, but I mean, God brought them back. I mean, they would those Magi wouldn't even know it about the scriptures if they were not Jews originally themselves. And that's a whole study. I mean, it's just beautiful how God. Brought things back, and it was through Daniel and other things that there was prophecy about the Messiah and different things. And that, so it's just a beautiful thing. Uh, and that's just one one account. That's one story of God bringing them back. And God has brought us all back to Jesus. He is Jehovah Tannisku. The Lord is our righteousness. God is going to do such a beautiful thing in your life, based on His righteousness not yours. Lord, we just worship you. We magnify you. I don't know if I've done a full justice with this whole topic on righteousness, but Lord, I, I pray that you would just awake people to your righteousness that they would have an awakening to who they are in you. Lord, all my life I've, I've prayed for a great awakening and this has been the core of it, that there would be an awakening to knowing who we are in you. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. May there be such a great awakening that sweeps our our lives, our countries, our families, and our world. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock as we talk about the true nature of God.